The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Coming up after 10.15, it's our therapist panel, uh, which means we focus on your mental health. We'll talk about uh, tools to use during difficult times. And uh, there's been a huge increase of couples seeking info about uh, divorce. And the question will be for you, how um, has your life, now that your life has slowed down for most of us during the last uh, three, four months, has it been good for your couple or has it caused uh, problems? We'll discuss all that and more, but first. Time to check out our inbox. Your texts are always welcome. Connect with passion at 514-800. Time to answer some of your questions. Uh, to uh, You can send them to me by email, laurie at drlaurie.com, or feel free to send them in right here, right now, just the first segment, at 514-800 if you'd like to, uh, to text it in. Uh, so here's one. Hello, Dr. Lori. Thanks for doing this wonderful show. Update with my wife. Finally trying a vibe. If you remember, I got the G-Spot vibrator. Uh, for one, for once, out of 10 vibes, she likes this one the most. Don't want to go into details, but it's long enough she can hold it during sex. Just want to throw that out there. Oh, they're talking about a, a clitoral vibrator for that one. And he had talked about the G-Spot vibrator. So, yes, there are... Uh, toys, sex toys for women that they can hold all on their own and that they can access even the G-spot, which is impossible to do with a hand, with a, a woman's own hand, just simply because of where the, the placement of it is. So a sex toy that has a curve in it uh, accesses the, uh, the G-spot area just fine. Okay, question here. Is it a problem if a male CJEP math teacher who teaches young adults, male and female, where half or more are well under 18, to be consistently exposed to sexual references? No biology topics are even close to the topics. Words as, and then gives the F word, S word, are regularly used without apology. References are quite explicit in word or actions, not left to wonder what is meant. Was informed that the administration told him to cease, but he continues. Do students ignore this or ask parents to act? So uh, you're talking about situations that make students feel uncomfortable. I'm assuming you're not, you're probably not the only one who feels uncomfortable with this. It is definitely not okay for a teacher to make the students feel uncomfortable, so uncomfortable that is distracting from actually learning. So if the administration has done nothing and you've already complained, then look, I, I believe the school might have an ombuds person or somebody that you can go even higher up uh, to make a complaint. I would also suggest in a situation like that, that maybe you get a uh, some kind of letter signed by the parents. You could have a, a letter sent in by parents. Uh, it would maybe be more powerful if it was uh, signed by several uh, students in the classroom, for example. But um, yeah, it's not okay. Like creating an environment that feels sexually inappropriate, even with words, 
is a, it is a form of sexual harassment, especially when told to stop or when told uh, that it's making people uncomfortable. Like you could be in a, let's take it to a, a work environment, right? So you can have a work environment where, yeah, maybe it's, um, you know, some references, words are, 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 are said, whatever jokes, whatever it is. If you have people around who are not uncomfortable with it and who, who don't care or, or whatever it is, it's one thing. But the minute somebody starts to feel in the least bit, um, like an environment that's hostile to them, which would be if it was like sexist and, and you, it affected you. And, you know, again, we can't judge who affects who it's going to affect how. So it's better to just not behave that way in the workplace. Um, then a, a complaint can be made. Absolutely. So, and, and in a school setting, when you have uh, underage people, I would say e- even uh, even more so, actually. Even more so. 514-800 if you have... Um, if you have a question for me, is there a way to get your libido back? I'm 29 male, long time suffering depression. Okay. So here's the thing about depression. Um, I'm glad you added that part because it explains the low libido. So one of the symptoms of depression is a lowered uh, libido, just a lower drive altogether, but the sex drive really takes a hit. Uh, the other problem is we treat depression with antidepressants. That's one way, right? Usually best method of treating depression, or at least from the studies is a combination of antidepressants and therapy, depending on how severe the depression is. But the side effects of the medication, unfortunately, is will also kill your libido. So you're kind of stuck there, but... Not all antidepressants work the same way on everybody. So if you are on medication, know that the medication is probably impacting your desire. It could also impact uh, your ability to uh, orgasm. It could also impact uh, erectile um, function, just so you know. Uh, Important to talk to your doctor and say, hey, these are the side effects I'm not comfortable with this. Can I switch? Is there a better one? And there are. Some of them are uh, have less sexual side effects or sometimes adding another medication could help that. So that makes, uh, makes a difference. But this is a conversation that you need to have uh, with your doctor. And sometimes we want to treat the depression above all else, right? So we want to make sure that somebody is stable before we start... Uh, let's say reducing meds and and what have you to reduce some of those side effects. But you have to work closely with the psychiatrist or the doctor who's treating you and uh, make sure that you voice these uh, concerns, the sexual concerns, because oftentimes doctors do prescribe antidepressants but don't talk about the sexual side effects or they come as a big surprise or some people aren't even making the connection between the medication and the fact that they have lost uh, their, uh, their libido. So very important that we have these discussions uh, and you're going to have to open up that discussion yourself since oftentimes it's possible that a physician may not uh, talk about this. Uh, Texter writes in, my girlfriend and I talked daily since March till three weeks ago. She has ghosted me since three weeks. 
how do I tell her I miss her when she stopped communication? So I would want to know what the hell uh, is going on. Why did she uh, ghost you all of a sudden? What's happening here? And um, telling her you miss her, um, <laughs> she, do you, is she going to care? Like, that's the thing. Why, why is she ghosting you? I mean, I hate the whole idea of ghosting. I think it's terrible. Um, I think it's important that you, if you at least communicate with her through some other means and say, Hey, not cool. Can you give me an explanation? We've been talking every day and now you just disappeared. I'm concerned. So that's something that I would, uh, absolutely reach out to and speak to her about. Coming up, our therapist panel discusses uh, your mental health. A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's Passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. It's our therapist panel tonight. Uh, we've got uh, my uh, usual suspects here, my colleagues who are with me. I'm not in studio yet, but nonetheless on the line. Jackie Miller joins us. She's a clinical psychologist. She's also a CJEP professor. Sandra Reich, a psychotherapist and the clinical director of the Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression. Welcome, ladies. Hi. Hi. Okay, first and foremost, before we get into topics and such, I want to ask Jackie because she is a CJEP teacher and we just got a... um, an, an email about this situation that I want to share with you and maybe you can give an idea of what uh, students can do. It says uh, that it's, this person has a, a, a CJEP math teacher who is um, constantly making sexual references, doesn't teach biology, doesn't teach sexuality, teaches math, um, and making the students feel very, very uncomfortable. Uh, apparently the administration told him to stop, but he continues and they want to know like, what can they do? Do they ignore it? Do they get their parents involved? So I don't know if you've ever encountered such a, a situation in your school, but where do, where can people go to for that? Well, I know, like I'm only familiar with what Vanier has in place, right. but I know that at Vanier there's like the student advocacy. So there is um, an office that just a person dedicated to working with students who have um, some, if there's some issue with a teacher that, you know, whether it's a conflict or feeling harassed or feeling okay. that something's happening that makes them feel uncomfortable or they feel unfair. Um, I mean, that's an understatement for these kinds of, you know, um, statements or, or these kinds of comments that the teacher is making. But I would start to there because that person is there specifically to advocate for the student okay so they're not there to advocate you know to for the school right yeah exactly they're specifically there to advocate for the student um also there i'm not sure how all the cjips work but there there are policies like student policies regarding like harassment or Mm -hmm. you know um you know uh conduct you know, not misconduct for both teachers and for students. Right. And so there's policies. So in those policies, it it should outline for students, okay, this is, these are the steps that you can take if mm-hmm. you feel like, um, but also if they've already gone, like I'm wondering if they've already gone to administration, administration knows about this and knows and 
decisions Nothing and they changes. know that it's not, you know, it's not what they're doing isn't being effective. Mm-hmm. So that's something that, you know, I'd be interested to know because if the administration's already taken some action, but it hasn't been effective. I know um, in the past, I know that students have gone outside the school with their own, like contacted their own private lawyers and okay. have, have, you know, um, taken action against the school for okay. something like that. Okay. So, but not everybody has access to those resources, right? Right. And so that's, um, so I would start with the student advocate at the school and also maybe on your, like, do some research on your own to find out, okay, what is the harassment policy that's in place at the school? Mm-hmm. Okay. So what's interesting is a situation like this, which can be vague, let's say, right? So a teacher may not be making inappropriate comments to a student, like not, not necessarily targeting any particular student, but the, the tone or the, Mm -hmm. the atmosphere that the, the, the uh, teacher creates can be seen as, uh, harassment if somebody feels this feels uncomfortable the minute you start mm-hmm. making people feel uncomfortable with with the language being used and one of the things that we saw just in this last you know kind of half semester that was online is there's a lot of miscommunication online with both teachers and students like because all of your communication now is basically through emails mm-hmm. and through online communication and there have been a lot of instances where people think they're, you know, what they're putting out there is one thing, but how it's received is different. Mm -hmm. So there's been instances also where, you know, teachers are doing their Zoom lectures and students say something inappropriate or do, and they don't even realize that they're doing that. Right. They're online and they just, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to sit here, you know, with no shirt on in class. Right. Right. My Zoom class even though, yeah, you're at home, but you're really in class. So there's been a lot of, so I don't know if these comments were happening online, you know, or through emails, because that definitely has been an issue. Um, just how how do we communicate, do everything online? You're not talking face-to-face. You don't have nonverbals. You don't have tone. You just have messages hmm. that can sometimes be misinterpreted right. or and also yeah. inappropriate stuff can happen when yeah. you're online and it's mm-hmm. like you're behind a screen and yeah. uh you know Your stuff like this down. and i think all of us as therapists i don't know sandra about you doing online stuff but um it changes the dynamic a little bit and i remember before covid I, um, I was very resistant to doing, uh, online therapy with people I never met before. And part of that was simply because of the subject matter that I deal with. That was a big, that was a big thing. Cause I wasn't sure what are people going to be doing on the other side? I can't control mm-hmm. what they're doing. Right. So, uh, and I have a colleague of mine who's in Florida and she has told me some stories about men doing, you know, <laughs> very inappropriate things. <laughs> right. Uh, I don't want to get caught in that it's like whoa whoa you know so I'd always been resistant with that thankfully it hasn't happened and it's all been good but um but nonetheless I'm sure we all have some a little bit of trepidation around these kinds of uh these kinds of things and there's definitely been like what I noticed just in communications with students is that students will sometimes they'll they'll send things through email 
in a way where they probably wouldn't phrase it like that if we were face to face. But there's, you know, when you're doing it online, sometimes you, you, you might feel like you can have a little bit more liberties. And that can go the other way with teachers as well. Okay. You know, teachers getting, you know, you're trying to get a message across and you're getting frustrated. So you may put something, you know, in an email that you normally might not say in class. So I think this has been an issue. But the other thing I would also, like, for the student who's going through this is there's also, like, counseling services at school that are are still available. Like, it's not face-to-face. It's it's also, I think, online because students can't go to the school because, you know, if they're feeling, if if they're struggling with how they feel about someone saying these types of things to them, um, they might also need that kind of support as well right. like wanting to have it resolved but also needing to talk about how they what they're going through absolutely as one texter wrote when i worked for dawson i took three students with me to our psychologist they told their story and exact comments we got five students total at the end of the school year the teacher left the school so that's what my mm-hmm. suggestion was if it's happening let multiple students come together and write a letter or, or what have you um, i'm curious sandra what if you've um, run into any kinds of discomfort or issues doing your um, telehealth, your sessions online? It's going quite well. I also, like you, was a little bit uh, tentative about doing it. It's going quite well. Um, I think that, you know, when you first meet the clients, you really uh, still have to rely on your therapeutic skills to see, um, you know, to suss out the clients and for the clients <laughs> to feel if that you're the right person for them. That's I, I true. think that's it's all about the alliance. Yeah, and it's a little bit harder to do that when you're not face to face. But I've been—I'm actually been surprised at how well it works. And I've had quite a few um, brand new people, so people who I'd never met before um, online, and I'm getting people from all over the world now, which is very interesting. (laughs) Uh, Because people now have a choice, right? If they they were seeing a therapist in their city before because they wanted face-to-face, well, now the whole world is there, is open to them, right? So... Uh, if there, if everybody's doing online uh, online therapy, so I know we got yeah. we got a little bit uh, distracted from some of the stuff we were talking about, but uh, I wanted to come back to and we've talked about this before, but about couples and how they're managing. Now, I'm hearing uh, two sides. I'm hearing from couples who um, during this uh, whole life has slowed down kind of thing has been good for them where it's been, uh, they've said it's been good for their couple. It's been good for their family. So there's a lot of positives coming out of the, uh, the pandemic and the, the, the lockdown or the, the isolation part of it. And then of course we see, um, a 20% increase of couples seeking information about divorce. So we're seeing two ends, right? Yeah. <laughs> What is going on? Sandra, take it. We're spending a lot of time together. So, I mean, I think that uh, your relationship, it really depends how you approach it. Because when people spend a lot of time together, certainly whatever issues are in your relationship are going to get highlighted. So uh, whatever issues you had before, if anything, will be enhanced. However, it can go two ways. Mm-hmm. The issues can become enhanced and more of a problem, or we can turn this into an opportunity to work on those exact issues because we have the gift of time, and that's where there can be a bit of a silver lining is right. can you turn your lemons into lemonade? And I think you can, but yeah. you have to be a couple who wants to sort of look at what's going on between the two of you. I wonder if it can also put things in perspective for people. 
For you know, sure. people who've had a lot of like petty fights and petty arguments over time, like realizing, okay, what's really important here? Like we got to come together as a team in order to get through this difficult time. Yeah, I, th- I think I'm... that attitude alone can have a really great effect on a couple. Mm-hmm. To see yourself as a team is always a very positive thing. Right. Jackie? Yeah, what I'm seeing is that there's this difference with couples uh, with children and couples without. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or couples who have older children who are more, say, self-sufficient or independent. or Because the couples who have, like, especially when they're trying to homeschool, that this has been quite stressful for a lot of the people that I've talked to. And it's, you know, when you talk about mental energy, a lot of their energy going towards, you know, trying to either do homeschooling or, or keep the kids, you know, busy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so where, and whereas maybe the coping before was, okay, we could have a night out together or I can just go vent to my friend and then come back and, but now it's those, those resources or the access to that may be more limited. So it's it's very uh, a lot of the couples have talked about how it's just there's no break. It's always it's on. It's always on. It's, yeah, and I, I know especially with young kids. Right. And it's taking a toll. I've certainly um, seen that um, myself in my own practice, and and I, actually we should talk a little bit about that because now that parents have the option of sending their kids back to daycare or day camp. Mm-hmm. Um, are parents taking that and why? So maybe we can, uh, our listeners can weigh in on this one at 514-800. And, why, and coming up, we'll talk about why um, sending kids to daycare and day camp is good for everybody's mental health. It might be, it just might be worth the risk that we can, mm-hmm. we can maybe help people weigh that out. So we'll, uh, we'll talk about that with our therapist panel, Jackie Miller and Sandra Reich in studio right now. Let's turn it over to the CGA 800 newsroom. The following program contains mature subject matter. Listener discretion is advised from the pleasure and the politics to the hangups and the heartbreak. You're listening to Passion, CJD 800. The uh, Once a month, the uh, last Monday of the month, we bring in our therapists and we put all our heads together and talk about mental health issues. Jackie Miller, clinical psychologist, CJEP professor is with us, uh, as is Sandra Reich, psychotherapist and the clinical director of the Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression. Uh, talking about mental health, especially during these uh, these times, now that things are opening up, maybe we can talk about this because parents are struggling with uh, the decision to either return their kids to daycare or send them to day camp which are all open now and um, what I'm hearing from parents and and the the conversations are about weighing the risk versus the risk to their mental health because I'm finding after it's almost four months now that uh, parents and children and what have you have been uh, together (laughs) 24-7 uh, parents might be losing it a little bit, and I certainly wouldn't blame them. Um, so they have to make this decision. Uh, are you seeing that at all, ladies? Um, yeah, Sandra, uh, I'll, I'll go. Go ahead, Jackie. It's hard when we can't see I know, other. I know. It's completely different. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what I'm seeing is that there's a couple, like, for some people, they're, they're, it's what's going to fit for their family because there's such different risks, like, Right. Some some people have like they're living with ex- like grand 
uh, you know, grandparents, and they don't want to take the risk of, you know, maybe someone, a child getting sick and bringing it home to, you know, uh, an older member of the of the family. For other people, you know, I have some parents like, wow, we've really adjusted to being all together, and it's I'm enjoying being, you know, with my child this much as I'm really enjoying watching them develop. And then for some other people, it's they're feeling so guilty because they feel like they can't meet the expectations. Like, why can't I do this, you know, this schooling or keep my kid occupied or why? Right. And so there's such a, so I think the decision is, is such a personal mm-hmm. decision and that there's so many different um, factors that are unique for each person to consider. And, and just to have, just be understanding <laughs> with yourself to know this is a hard choice right right and no judging um, others who make exactly, whatever choice they yeah. make and and it's interesting because if you listen to uh, pediatricians who are talking about this they're also talking about children's um, lacking of socialization right now and and that that's something that's really really important and so they're weighing the risk of if a kid gets it versus what they're not getting right. by uh, being at home so um, clearly there's decisions to be made, but that creates a lot of anxiety for parents to try mm-hmm. to make these decisions. Sandra, as the expert in anxiety, <laughs> what are you seeing here? Well, I really agree with what Jackie said, and I think that really important for the anxiety in particular is to thyself be true. Right. There mm-hmm. are no clear-cut answers here, and I think every family has to sit down and think about, I mean, mental health is a big factor, but my goodness, so is catching a virus. Yes, so of course. So I, I agree with you all, Lori, no judgment, um, but uh, the family has to assess a cost-benefit analysis of what's going to work best. And then, you know, what really helps anxiety is to stand behind your decision, meaning there are no perfect decisions right now. So we stand behind our decision, and if need be, we change our decision. But, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking is easy to do. Yeah. Uh, we don't know. We don't know. So no one can say what's the right decision mm-hmm. for you. You just do what's right for you. Yeah. Yeah, there's no right or wrong. And build in that flexibility. Like, we, okay, this is what we're deciding now. And maybe, you know, after a week or after even a couple of days, we might make a different decision. So and to, and to give yourself permission to be flexible. Right. Um, and and uh, what I was seeing, I, I'm thinking of one particular um, couple and the mom who has been home with the kid, like she's just going, her mental health is definitely taking a hit on this and it's affecting her um, and it's very hard for her to get a break. And so she's losing, she feels badly because she's losing her patience and she's not acting the way she wants to be acting and, and what mm-hmm. have you. And in a situation like that, we were talking about it and thinking, okay, so let's say they did go to camp. So, you know, for her, it was like, this would give, I would be such a better parent (laughs) at the end of the day with Mm -hmm. them that uh, for her, it just made sense in terms of just uh, trying to save her, her, her sanity. Uh, So we have to, not everybody, not everybody can is reacting the same way. Like we all have our, our vulnerabilities. We all have our sensitivities or, or whatever it is that makes us able or sometimes not so able to do things 24 seven all the time with, with the children. Yeah. So, yeah. And, so getting, and getting information about, you know, what day camp or daycare that you are going to be going back to, like what kinds of 
precautions are they taking and having, you know, you're making this, you, this decision and just gathering as much information as you can before you decide what you want to do. But then knowing that, um, I think it's, it's so, because I have so many clients who are so scared of like, what if I make the wrong decision? And it's really sort of letting the idea go that there's a right or wrong. Like nobody knows what's (laughs) happening in this situation. And so it's really what, what, you know, we're going to do our best right now and that's going to be good enough. And then, and we, we constantly need to be reassessing. Yeah. I, I think the concept of good enough Mm -hmm. is something that people have a hard time with uh, because they want to do it perfectly. Yeah. In general. general. Yeah. In general, I'm talking about like absolutely in general and people beat themselves up when, uh, because they can't accept good enough. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But all we can do is the best that we can. So, I mean, that really is doing good enough. It's not doing perfect, and uh, I think that's a really important point is we got to give ourselves a bit of a break on that because when we aim for the perfect decision, we're just set up to, to lose. We can't, we can't win that, and especially with all the pressure that's going on right now. So uh, really good point. Right. So I, I do want to talk a little bit tonight about some um, tools that people can use during difficult times. Like I was thinking, especially with, um, you know, when you're going through a tough moment, uh, and I know many of us make the suggestions to clients, but the whole concept of journaling as a tool, as a way to focus on, um, uh, you know, just to, to focus on whether it's the positive, whether it's your strengths, whether it's a way to write down and give yourself a pep talk, whether it's a way to change a, a perspective. Uh, the, all this can be really helped through the act of journaling. Yeah, like, so there's different kinds of, so sometimes, you know, I'll have clients just, yeah, they're just sort of doing, you know, writing down what's going through their mind or what they're thinking of. Or sometimes it'll be much more specific. Okay, write down, you know, all the examples of, you know, how you coped well today, because sometimes we tend to focus yes. on what's not going well. Right. And so this this specific exercise might say, okay, yeah, there's things for sure that didn't go well, but in the day, there is something that did go well or there's something that you feel like you you did address effectively so sometimes getting people to focus sometimes getting people to be aware through their writing that oh the way that I'm talking to myself like I'm being very self-critical how else can I phrase that what's another way that I can talk to myself what would sorry when with that in mind I would say I would go further and say what would you say to a friend who is suffering and then how about applying that to yourself because most Mm -hmm. people don't right they're so compassionate to their friends and they they're empathetic Mm -hmm. to when their friends are suffering but when they are they're bashing themselves Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll be honest I journal I use this tool all the time and it's it's definitely been a game changer in my life. I mean, writing things down and having even, you know, this may sound a little cheesy, but having a relationship (laughs) with yourself, which I think is important. Um, I catch myself also if I have a distorted thought, just like I teach my clients. You have a distortion Mm -hmm. in your thought and you're getting stuck on something. And certainly the concept of gratitude, uh, we know through enormous amounts of research that just taking time to be grateful for things 
has a profound effect on your mood, reduces anxiety, immunizes you against depression, can really, really have a huge impact. Uh, it's certainly a tool we want to have in our toolbox. Right. And uh, I'd like to, to talk a little bit more about that toolbox too, because right now it, it's it's in these moments of difficulty when ev- the world is in difficulty. And I haven't spoken to anybody who hasn't found it somewhat difficult uh, where we have to reach into that toolbox. And I want to make sure that people have enough of those things that they could actually reach into. So we'll continue to talk about uh, uh, our toolbox and what's in yours and what's in your uh, coping uh, toolbox right now. Uh, We'll talk, uh, continue this with Jackie Miller and Sandra Risha. Passion with Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. Tonight uh, talks about mental health and coping, talking about what's needed in our toolbox. Uh, Jackie Miller, clinical psychologist and CJEP professor, joins us. Uh, Sandra Reich, psychotherapist and the clinical director of the Montreal Center for Anxiety and Depression. This text around, hi, Dr. Lurie, we all need to remember the ball is broken. Some of us are trying to remember the future. doesn't work. Um, that's a good point because you're right. We don't know what's happening and dealing with uncertainty is uh is the most anxiety provoking thing right (laughs) i think we can all agree with that and so we can only really think about today but how are we doing this is why i think journaling is really important because we get to focus sometimes we just it gets us to stop and focus on the small pleasures of life the things that we control and sandra you brought up the notion of gratitude we can Mm. all be grateful for something in our day right Uh, we have to sometimes we have to look for it but it's there and and we have to learn to be able to focus on that and that can certainly help the other thing too is recognizing your strengths i know a lot of people look at their weaknesses and not their strengths but everybody has strength and look you're you've got to be able to say Hey, I, I'm managing, I'm coping, I'm strong enough to handle this. Look what, look how I handled today, for example, you know, uh, so yeah. things like that. Just alone, um, that, that can be something, like you said, to feel, you know, I did something really good today and I, I survived another day and I coped well and I, you know, I wasn't a perfect mother, but there was a, this moment with this child and this moment with yes. that child where I handled that well. And in my marriage, I had this moment. And that alone is a really good habit to get into. Sometimes I even do that right before I'm going to sleep is try to take in what are the moments that went well, because there's moments <laughs> that didn't go well. And you choose where you take your brain. You know, do you want to take it to the negative or do you want to take it to the positive? It makes a huge difference. Yeah, this yeah t- focusing go- on and having a routine sometimes as a family, like sitting at the dinner table and focusing on uplift. Okay. What was one good thing that happened to you today? And like everyone sharing it together. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it can be a really, you know, simple, uh, exercise to do, but then lead to more talking, feeling more connected and then giving yourself a break from if there is a constant focus on, well, what if this happens or what if that happens? Because definitely skills, that allow you to tolerate uncertainty because I think sometimes what I've noticed with clients is that they they feel like okay I shouldn't be anxious or I shouldn't Mm -hmm. you know I should be handling this better but sometimes it's recognizing it's this is nor it's going to be normal (laughs) to feel anxious it's very uncertain so how do we want to cope with that and not criticize ourselves for 
for not, you know, um, for thinking that we should be managing in a way that it's unrealistic. Right. This I for- is very un- yeah, it's really uncertain. I forbid my clients to use the word should. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Toxic. Well, I, I tell my clients, like, shoulds are, are like junk food for your brain. So imagine imagine a should as a Big Mac. And every time you said should, you were eating a Big Mac. How Ew. Feel at the end of the day, right? Like, if every time you said should to yourself, you had to eat a Big Mac, you would stop doing it. Yeah. I'll throw in there that should comes from the old English word to scold. Ah. And so every time we're shoulding, we're scolding ourselves. So, yeah, so stop um, shoulding, everybody. Shush the yeah. shoulding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's one good thing in the toolbox. No more shoulds please right. I, I, I think Have also what to. jackie just said was so important about the uncertainty um remember we've talked about this before the brain our brains are not really primed well for uncertainty so it's really normal to have um, an anxious response or a feeling of discomfort because we actually do better with bad news than we do with uncertainty which so is it's crazy huh? normal <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. So, I just think we have to normalize it for people. It's okay. Uncertainty is not easy. So our coping strategies become extremely important. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I just find people really, um, I don't know, like sometimes the expectations, like as if, uh, you know, I was having a conversation earlier today with someone who had a, a loss and she felt bad that she needed to cry all the time or what have you. And I'm like, why, you know, like, mm-hmm. why are you beating yourself up because you're sad and want to express your sadness? That doesn't mean you're falling apart. I was trying to show the difference between somebody falling apart and somebody expressing their grief. Yeah. Like sometimes, you know, clients will say, well, what's wrong with me? And well, there's nothing wrong. You're having a normal reaction to a very, you know, uh, stressful situation mm-hmm. or a traumatic situation or an overwhelming or a big change. I mean, it's it's normal like to have this t- type of reaction. Um, and when we're anxious, it doesn't necessarily mean that something bad is going to happen or there's danger. It just means that we're responding to something at the time that maybe in the moment we feel like we can't cope with, but then we're going to go into that toolbox and we're going to get our tools and we're going to be able to cope with it. Right. And let's, let's not forget emotions are our guidance system mm-hmm. and expressing emotions is a sign of strength, psychological strength, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not weakness. Mm-hmm. Right. But I think expressing those kinds of emotions for some people, they, they feel as if they're going crazy or they're weak or somehow that it's not, you know, they need to be tough or strong or what have you. And, you're right. It's 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 this. You know, it's what we're taught in in a way, um, and sometimes a lot of our jobs is to normalize so much of what people are experiencing and saying, "Hey, it's okay. You're allowed to feel this way." You know, it's, or in this situation, it's normal not to know what to do. Like there, yeah. there's no you know template for this situation, or like it's normal that you're sitting there thinking, I, I don't know what to do in this situation because we haven't lived this before. Exactly, exactly. None of us have lived this situation before. So that's it. Uh, this text I wrote in, should would be better replaced by could instead, which comparatively allows much more room for choice. Yeah, that's a that's a that good point. Good. Yeah, I like that. Uh, 
The other, the other question too is people will say, why, why am I this? Why am I that? Again, it's another kind of should, right? Right. (laughs) And And another criticism. And another criticism. And so when I speak to, especially couples, I always tell them, you're not allowed to start a sentence with why, Uh, (laughs) you know, why or you, because that immediately it it sets it up as a criticism, right? Even though. So true. And and sometimes there's an overvaluing of why, like, People will think, well, if I figure out why I do something, then that'll automatically lead me to the solution to change it. But, it's, you know, we could know why we smoke, <laughs> you right. know, but not be able to stop it because right. we need to use other mechanisms to do that. So sometimes, you know, the, the why can, you can use a lot of energy in trying to figure out the why, but maybe you want to take that energy to figure out, okay, but what now? <laughs> Right. What, what now is better than, than why? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, or how to. Or how mm-hmm. to, yeah. How to. This texture writes, uh, remember the unknown causes fear. Our lizard brain sees the unknown as something to fear. And yeah. that's the basis of anxiety, right, Tedra? Yes. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I'm still going back to this idea that um, the anxiety often comes when we don't express our emotions and when we're talking about people being afraid that they're going to have a breakdown or they're going to get into a bad place that often happens when we don't acknowledge our emotions Mm -hmm. so the expression of emotions helps you the anxiety is often a warning bell to say hey something else is going on i'm feeling something else but i'm pushing down the feeling i'm going to get an anxiety symptom right yeah and and the difference between like anxiety and fear like fear is there is something dangerous going to happen and so I, I want to, you know, respond appropriately, but anxiety is, is often like a worry about, like a what if that mm-hmm. the probability of that happening is, is very low. Right. And so, um, yeah, so being able to sort of know that I can have this strong reaction, but it doesn't mean that there's something dangerous going to happen. Right. I'm having a tense, you know, yeah, it's anticipatory. Yes, anticipatory. Exactly. It hasn't happened yet. Fear happens in the moment. Anxiety right. happens what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. So I think what's really important that we, in this time, during these unknowns and the, this this time of confusion and virus scare, these are real fears and they're mm. not just anxieties. And I think people need to recognize that we're all frightened to some degree, right? I think I think if you're not, in this case, if, if you have zero fear, then there's something wrong. <laughs> it's like, because then you're not taking any precautions. I, I fear people who have no fear right now, you know? <laughs> what do you mean you have no fear? You should have yeah. some fear. It's not a yeah. conspiracy. Yeah, so you, you're kind of fighting against that. Against that. But so it's it's perfectly normal to to have that level of anxiety it's not an anxiety disorder it's just mm-hmm. you're anxious because there's something to fear it's in front of us even though we can't quite f- touch it right now because it's in the air somewhere um which makes it more fearful right because yeah. you, you can't see it so that's part of uh, and i think people really need to uh, understand that. Uh, Texter writes, anxiety is often given a bad rap, especially, essentially, it's nothing more than anticipation, which can equally be positive or negative in nature. Yes, not all anxiety is bad, 
<laughs> we can end on that one, right, Sandra? Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely. A hundred percent. And I think the texter really understands that because sometimes we confuse excitement with anxiety. That's right. It's anticipation. It could be a wonderful anticipation that right. you're getting excited by and your body has the same reaction as an anxious response. Absolutely. If I have a job interview tomorrow, I'm going to be pretty anxious, but it's an anticipation of, right? right. It's a little bit different. So It's our interpretation. We, right. Like we interpret what, what, does, what do these feelings mean? Right. And so in all of this, we are all here to help. I just want to let our listeners know that uh, we are all a phone call away. Therapists are still busy. They're still working. They're, uh, you don't have to go into the office. You can do it all through telehealth. Uh, but reach out if you're having trouble uh, keeping, uh, like having a grasp on this, uh, then just reach out. Sometimes it's just one session with a therapist and, and you'd be good to go just to help put things in perspective. Uh, Jackie, where can people reach you? 514-772-5683. And Sandra? Helpforanxietydepression.com or call us at 514-777-4530. Wonderful. Ladies, so appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Stay safe. And yours. Thank you. Take care now. Thank you all for listening to Passion. Thank you for your messages and and your texts as well. Uh, Thanks, too, to our technical producer, Dave Simon. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or through my website, drlori.com. Coming up next here on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening. Stay safe and remember to live your life with passion.